0: Join us each week as Andrew, Ray and others bring us in on one of their weekly phone conversations with an amazing agent. This is Little Oak Weekly. This is Little Oak Weekly and you are joined with myself, Andrew Bracewell. Thanks for being along for the ride today. Today we have an incredible guest, Mark Sager, realtor with us since roughly 2009 in our Surrey location sits down. We chat for quite a long time. We get into his past, what drives him, his mindset, motivation, all kinds of cool things. Mark shares with us his history in the culinary and hospitality industry and how that is a major driving force in his mindset today. So lots of great content here. Hope you enjoy Mark as much as I love talking to him. Here we are, Mark Sager. Hello. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good, man. How are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. We are live and recording. Okay. Thanks for doing this. Hey, no problem at all. I appreciate you even being interested. Well, well, let's wait and see how you do and then we'll determine how interesting you are. <laughs> exactly. Hey, uh, tell me what you made for dinner last night. I need to you're spiking I need to check your levels. Just start talking to me about food or something you're passionate about.
1: Ah, oh, jeez. I mean, last night actually was uh was pretty simple. I just made uh a um uh, prawn pesto uh, pasta with some
0: homemade pesto, so okay, the fact that's that you basic and simple you think that's basic and simple, that's amazing. There'll be some people eye rolling as they're listening to this how you made you made your own pesto. Do you use one of those uh uh what's that pestle and mortar bowls or whatever it's called when you grind your stuff up? yeah, if I'm gonna make a small batch, I do have a pestle and
1: mortar. I mean, you know it's a really useful tool when you're getting into. Making flavors, you know, whether it's using spices, different, even, even actually, I've got a little dish that has um, salt and cracked pepper, all grounded up from the pestle mortar, and then I just throw it into a dish. And, it's and then just you just kind of, of keep staples. it there. Yeah, it's just one yeah. of my staples there. And it, and when it's being done fresh, it just has a little bit more bang to it, right?
0: Well, that sounds delicious. And did you cook the did you saute yeah. the prawns separately, or did you slow cook them in the sauce, or how did they cook? They don't need much.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing with prawns, right? You you want to be careful with that. So I'll usually season them, saute them first, about three quarters, get a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a char. You need a, a hot pan for that. Quickly get them out, and then set them aside, and then uh, make your uh, your pesto. Usually I put peas into mine to get some extra vegetables and that, and then I throw the pesto in, and a little bit of cream, and uh, Oh, before that, usually I'll reduce a little bit of wine in there first, just to pick it up, and then uh, get that <laughs> going, and then I'll throw the prawns in, and then throw the pasta in. Cooking <laughs> is really quite simple once you
0: understand some of the basics. And and you understand some of the basics because you've got a bit of a culinary past.
1: Yeah, I. You know what I went when I when I graduated from school, I ended up leaving uh, to head back to. Um, England, and I only say back because my whole family's from there, and we lived there when I was really small. My parents uh, took us back for a while. So born, born in Canada, moved back there, that's right? Yeah, born in Canada. My parents emigrated out here. My dad came in 56. I think my mom arrived in 59. So they did decide at one point that they kind of maybe were a little homesick, took us back. I was two. And I was there till I was about four and a half, five. And they just realized that, you know what, life was different there. It wasn't the same as they remembered. You have to remember at that time, it it's actually still, they're still recovering from the war at that time, believe it or not. How, how old so are I, you? I'm, I'm, me? Yeah. I'm 53 now.
0: So is this like, are we talking like uh, mid to late 70s or when would this have been?
1: Yeah, for me, I would have been early 70s.
0: Early 70s, okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: Like I remember taking a train through London and and this is actually when we returned for a vacation. And as a kid I didn't understand. I looked at my mom and I said, What's going on over there? Like literally you, you I went down the rail line and off to this one side there's just this burned out gutted. It it looks like there was this horrible fire.
2: Wow. And an
1: area that just it was all like you see in, in you know in uh, documentaries and things, so parts of London like, were still being rebuilt, and that was that would have been one of my visits back in the late seventies. So,
0: so like thirty to thirty to forty years later.
1: Yeah, you know, and I mean, you know, England just wasn't what what they remembered, I guess, as kids. So they they marched us back, and we we stayed out here ever since then.
0: And so, when and then
1: I how much time I did your graduate. parents?
0: Sorry, how much time did your parents spend in England before they had you? Were they, they were there, like, their entire lives? Yeah, my dad would have left the UK, I guess he would have been about
1: 20, he was actually pretty young, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, he probably left when he was 26.
0: Like, did they leave mid-war, post-war, where, like, what was their contact with the war?
1: No, post-war. Post-war, okay, Um, okay. My dad had to do his um, time in the army, because at that time you, uh, the... You Know they still had conscription, so you had to go
2: absolutely yeah. do your
1: service for a couple of years, yeah. And then he uh he left, came back. His family business, actually, he was a, a butcher by trade, and um, Sager's owned a uh, quite a well well known butcher shop in the in uh, Sheffield, which is in the north of England, hmm. and he he had very strong differences with his dad, and um, I guess. There was an old way to do um, butchering, and it was basically all your cuts of meat were all in the back. Someone would walk in and say, hey, I need this, this, and this, and this. They'd go in get it all ready. And my dad had seen new ways. He was younger. He wanted to change the company. And I remember him telling me, you know, like, we needed to display the meats. We needed to draw people in. Interesting. And, uh, you know, it came down to marketing, really. I mean, how you see a butcher shop today. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the meat's so all everyone, there. window shopping. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's window shopping. And he just decided, him and his cousin, up and left and moved out to Canada. There was, you know, Canada was looking for people. They had incentives to come out. So they took that up. He came out. My mum and him knew each other very well. They'd been dating for about five years. And I guess they... They kept in touch through snail mail. And finally, one one letter came to my dad saying <laughs> that she'd met someone else. And, you know, she wanted <laughs> to be honest. And she was probably, it was getting serious. And yeah. they, they were both dating. Like, they weren't together. And uh, he upped, got on a plane, went back and proposed. And next thing you know, Mom had come out.
0: That a boy. So,
1: yeah. So, wow. you know, some people think it was pretty romantic. Like, it probably was. <laughs> you know? And,
0: uh, maybe, maybe that's equivalent today to sending a heroic email or poke through some kind of online, <laughs>
1: online connection. I know. I, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully something you go get what's yours. You yeah, exactly. But I mean, it wasn't that easy to, to fly back. Then. No, you know, a, a flight was a hell of a lot longer uh, than it is today.
0: So where, where did mom and dad settle? Did they settle in BC? Like, is that. Yeah, my
1: dad went to Alberta first, and he was in in Kamloops, of all places, at the time when um, uh, my mom came out. So she really didn't know where she was going. He said, oh, it's so beautiful in this country, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And uh, she arrived, and and I always remember, the only, only part of the story I really remember is she arrived, and she couldn't understand how she had to go through a separate entrance to go into a pub or a saloon, a bar. And You got to feel, what do you uh, mean
0: by that? I don't get that.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> the, at that time... Like, we're in men Kamloops now. In, yeah, we're in Kamloops. Men, And, and it was in BC. There's, there were bars. I grew up on the North Shore, and uh, there were a couple of uh, hotels that still had the men's entrance. And it didn't say ladies entrance, it said escorts entrance.
2: Oh, that's mom, incredible.
1: I know. And my mom said to him, there is no way I'm going to live in a place where I have to go through a separate entrance.
2: Wow.
1: And so they did get in. I mean, at that, that time, I guess that was starting to disappear. So they, he promised her they would be leaving Kamlips and they, they ended up in uh, Vancouver and bought themselves a home in the North Shore up um, in an area by Edgemont Village, and, you know, price, you know, they they scraped everything together they possibly could, and my dad always believed in buying something right. If you're going to spend big money, it needed to be good quality, whichever. And, I mean, literally at that time, good quality was in a, a new neighborhood, and they paid $16,000 for a, you know, just shy of 1,500-square-foot bungalow on a, on what probably, uh, pretty sure that lot is about. That's probably near, quarter, quarter near acre. Square.
0: Yeah, ten yeah, thousand. feet. quite yeah, bad, but, but yeah. yeah,
1: about ten, about shy of ten thousand square feet. Yeah, and uh, that house still sits there, actually, on a street where most have been knocked down. It's kind of nice to go past there every once in a while see it.
0: So they take you back to England for a few years. They don't. That's yeah. not the right fit. You come back. You, you grow up in uh, up in the north in the North, in the north
1: Shore. shore. Yep, stayed there and then graduated. And uh, I uh, was, they set it up with some friends of uh, our family that owned a hotel in the south of England. And I uh, worked in a little manor hotel called Moonfleet Manor in Weymouth, which is in Dorset. And uh, I mean, for most people, that would be nothing, but it, you could, I like think I was telling the other day, it, it basically was faulty towers. Hmm. The owners liked me. They I was just going over there to work for the summer and uh, do some hub and spoke uh, travel into Europe. And I ended up uh, staying for two and a half years working in the hotel. And I was going to go to um, what they call a polytechnic there, which would be equivalent of like our BCIT, mm-hmm. those uh, type schools and uh, study hospitality management and culinary foods. And uh, last minute when I was getting ready to go, All of a sudden, it had been discovered I hadn't been back in the country for five years. Uh, So I was subject to foreign fees, and it was just going to cost a monster amount of money. And I wasn't willing to take another uh, two and a half years to uh, wait. So off I went back home, and I ended up uh, going to BCIT. My dad did some groundwork. He went and met with uh, Dennis Forrestal, who's the... General manager of the Bayshore at the time and said, "Where does he want to go? Where should he go?" And right. BCIT had the best hospitality management course, and that got my interest in uh, in foods. Actually, I I always liked kind of cooking a little bit, but didn't realize it until um, I had that componentry of our uh, of our course. So then I got out of that, and I decided I was actually that's what I was going to do. I was determined I was going to be a chef.
0: And, and this is why you know how to make a simple prawn pesto. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, some of my stuff, it's so
1: long ago now. I don't have, I don't remember everything, but it, basics are there. And that, that's what cooking, uh, cooking is on foundations. And from the foundations, you can build up from there. And, and you can pretty much do anything. You can start something off with, you know, there's, there's your, your basic sauces and then go from there and you learn how to to cook things properly
0: hey little oak have you thought about business planning does your business plan suck maybe you've never done one or maybe your business plan's pretty good but you need a refresh no problem we got you covered the month of november is business planning month at little oak for 2022 ray's already done session one i got session two and three coming up on the 17th and the 24th of this month if you're interested and you want to be a part Check it out. Get on our wants and haves. There's some videos and some links up for you to be a part of it in person or digitally. It's going to be awesome. Take that step. Start planning today. Make 22 the best year ever. So So, give me an example of a foundation. What do you mean? What do you mean by that?
1: Well, you know, everything starts with, with something uh, simple. So, you know, um, you, it's a technique. Uh, It, a sauce, if you wish, like you know if you're gonna make a benet sauce, mm-hmm. that's what you would start with, and then you would decide what your protein and what your starch and those type of things, and what your seasoning's going to be, so all those things had basic cooking certainly has gone way further I think if you know if you get into um Indian cooking curries and things I mean they have their they have their Foundations of certain spice combinations, right, and then that creates that curry. So uh, that's your foundation in your base. You start from something from there, and then move up from there.
0: So, do you have a particular flavor of the world or cuisine that you enjoy the most, or enjoy preparing or eating the most? I always admire early on. I admired Italian cooking because Italian cooking was
1: very simple, fewer ingredients, so it kind of allows those ingredients to speak, you know, while other, sometimes other cooking is a combination of all sorts of things. And I call it kind of layers. So you've got layers of flavor and it all blends together. I mean, Italian cooking does do that a little bit, but they're a little bit more simplistic in their uh, approach to things. And a lot of the, the dishes we eat today, actually, I mean, would be considered what they would have called you know, peasant food, even in the UK, I mean sure a really good Yorkshire pudding, the only reason they put that in. Most people don't don't know that was cooked usually in a big pie plate, not in an individual right. one. Right. And you serve that to everyone early on because you wanted to fill everyone up because at that time you couldn't afford meat. So if I filled up on the Yorkshire pudding, I didn't need as much meat. Huh. When you when you read about food, it's quite interesting where some stuff comes from. But I, I have a real intrigue. I mean, I, I don't think I have anywhere specifically I absolutely like, but I, you know, I enjoy Asian cooking, mm-hmm. and I am starting to try to understand some of the, the Indian cooking. And, and I'd like to perfect that. I, I bug Bawa every once in a while. <laughs> so maybe one time he'll invite me over and show me some stuff for his mom.
0: I, I've heard of these legendary um, Indian goat roasts where like the goat goes on in the pot you know it's a curry that that probably simmers slow cooks for hours on end and yeah. you know guys sit around you know sipping something while the while while the goat's cooking and i i love goat curry it's actually probably my favorite of all indian proteins i would choose goat like in their curry over anything else
1: yeah you know it's not common to us here but goat is really really tasty it's, it's really good yeah, like, I mean, I love lamb, but lamb is too gamey for some people. And that, but goat has some similarities, but really, really tasteful. Mm-hmm. And my, my wife's Portuguese, and I've learned they use a lot of goat as well. Hmm. So that's another area that I'm, I'm kind of like learning a bit now is Portugal. I'd never thought of Portugal before uh, in cooking uh, so much. But...
0: And they use a lot of goat in Portuguese cooking?
1: Yep. Okay. Chicken's their big one. Okay, chicken is their big one, Sure, but goat is quite prominent there as well.
0: Let's talk so you get into the hospitality industry. Yeah. And this has had a significant impact I think on who you are and how you approach real estate. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to buy I think there's a lot of there's a lot of meat there, no pun intended. I don't want to skip over too much. <laughs> you you told me uh you know, I got a little snippet of a of a Hawksworth story that I I want you to yeah. repeat. So you're in this is like are you like early to mid 20s at this time or or what?
1: Yeah, I would have been in my mid 20s. And and this is where I had I decided after doing hospitality admin and uh, management that um you could go into front of house, you could go into back of house, back of house of of food and I I just sort of thought, you know, I I love this cooking. I'm I'm good at this. I, it's a little ego driven, I think. Sometimes, mm-hmm. anyway, so I got my apprenticeship at that time, and I uh signed up to be in uh with the apprenticeship. You go to school for a while and then you practice you go and work for 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 a month or two, then you go back to school so in part of my going to work i'm I'm in a William Tell restaurant, and our owner sits in in front of me and he's explaining to us because i I was kind of like, you know talking to my, my buddy and i I'm like I'm just I'm tired of being over in the uh, in the bar area because the uh, wind at that time I was in a hotel, the Georgian Court, and we had Rigney's, which was the bar as well.
0: And and you're not in the fine dining section of the restaurant. Yeah, I whatever. wasn't
1: in the fine dining. I did a lot of the prep, and then I get shipped over and go, okay, you're you're in there tonight.
0: <laughs> they kick out kick out the the trash before the fine diners show up. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, I mean, there's 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 hierarchy in in kitchens. Oh uh, yeah. You know, I wouldn't quite say it's always like go uh, to Gordon Ramsay, but I, I, there's there's a few like that for sure. Sure. And and it's kind of earn your stripes. And I always remember being told, you know, he, he, our owner sat there and he and I was like, come on, like when are we going to get into this? He goes, look, Mark, if you can't perfect making the best chicken strip or the best burger, the best French fry. You're not ready for my restaurant. And make a long story short, I sat there and went, well, you know what? I am good enough for your restaurant, (laughs) so kind of screw this. And I was like, but, you know, I don't need to do this. other guy beside me kind of went, yes, sir, yes, sir, yeah, Mm mm-hmm, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Well, I left the restaurant business and went into front of the house, and the other guy stayed in it he perfected it and his name is David Hawksworth.
0: Oh, so, I love that mic you know, drop.
1: <laughs> you know, it just it, it comes down to uh, I think like anything. And my lesson there was later to go you need the basics.
2: Hmm. If
1: you do the basics well, you can build from there.
0: And you know, and David is like the I mean is he the name in the Vancouver food scene still? I mean, I know he's one, one of them.
1: He's one of them. He's yeah. one of the big guys. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, he's highly
0: respected, highly respected. Do you, so, en- do you enjoy eating at Hawksworth? Like, do you think uh, that's a great spot? I- I'm asking, cause I'm always disappointed by it, but, uh, you know, I'm sure I'm not saying it's say, not good.
1: I have, I have to say I've not been in his restaurant. That's at the hotel. George. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I-, I haven't gone in there. He used to, uh, it was head chef for uh, West. I had been in there. Yeah. Uh, um, that was, I, I enjoy West, but, yeah. uh, I haven't been into his, it, it's an art, it's an art form. So some people are going to like your art and some people aren't.
0: Well, and part of the reason I make that comment is because, you know, like you, you judge everything based on what you're paying to a degree. Right. And so if you're paying yeah. $69 for a dish versus $39 for a dish, you might have a little bit different expectation. And, and yeah. Hawks, Hawksworth is not, it's not a inexpensive experience.
1: No, not at all i mean and and but that's the key word it, you're you're paying for an experience, yeah, and it you know what at the end of the day, I might do that once in a blue moon i I'm not i like fine dining, I like really good food, but you can find really good food at all levels
0: how has this is a loaded question, but this vast experience you have in hospitality, i mean you also spend some time working you spent a lot of time working in sales it wasn't just food you were in you were it's actually mostly sales in the hotel industry that you did for a number of years right yeah i mean in total
1: i have a little over 20 years i think it's like 22 years in the industry i was front office manager assistant front office manager. i mean you start off just sure front of the line you're like a bell and or something work your right? way up so yeah and um <laughs> the one thing you learn in the hotel industry is you you uh, you go from uh, being on the line you know being a a front desk clerk or a, a bellman and then you get into management you find out you'll never make as much money as you did when you were a bellman those guys make a ton of money
0: i was just going to ask you that as you'd mention it because <laughs> you know i i like to go to nice hotels and there's some great i don't know if you call them bell people bell men, whatever yeah. the right terminology is uh, you know places like Fairmonts or or you know Hotel Georgia or whatever, and I mean yeah. the the cash that flows is significant. What they must be tipping out,
1: right, to other people? Oh, They do pretty well. We when I was at the Bayshore, we had two guys. These guys were the door were the doormen. so they controlled that front parking area. So if you wanted to be in one of those spots, you know, first of all, we were looking at what kind of vehicle did you drive. It's all of image and this that, and the other, and then they would drop their money. So they're making money there. But one our head guy owned a apartment block in the West End. You know, I'm I'm I mean I and I'm not talking like a tiny one of like six units. I think his apartment block had like twenty five units. I can only imagine what that's worth now. And our other guy actually was an antique car collector. And I was like, wow. So never think that those
0: guys are suffering. But that's a really, really important position. Like when it comes to the customer experience at a hotel like that, I would say that those guys are the most important person you encounter from the moment you pull up to talking to front desk, to maybe dealing with concierge, like those guys control the environment of the client experience. And so I get it. I think that makes a lot of sense. They do. And it's first impression.
1: Yeah. And you, you want guys with charisma and and, you know, they, give to gab they just everything it, it's your first impression and i would say yeah they're integral for sure because that can set the experience well mm-hmm. or it can just start it off where oh we're digging ourselves out of a hole yeah
0: 2008 2009 hotel industry uh well world goes world goes through a, a significant correction i assume yeah. that has a significant impact on hotel industry and that marked the b the beginning of the end in your hotel experience and actually your entry into real estate. So how did that, have, I, I don't know, we don't have to, well, you can talk about whatever you want, but I'm, I'm curious to yeah. see how that, this experience has impacted your, your real estate venture.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, at that time, that's when, when I got out of the industry and in, you know, I'm, I'm an open book kind of guy, straightforward. I got sacked. Yeah, Like I got fired. And at that time, I was at the Sheridan Wall Center. We always knew every year that someone's numbers and quotas, we're, we're not used to quotas. We give ourselves our own quotas, really. But your numbers as to how many dollars in meetings you were going to do, guest rooms, et cetera, uh, would be put on the table. And I mean, we're on a downturn. and It was quite evident that this year, and every everyone always said, it'll never be marked. Mark. No one Too nice of far, a guy. But, yeah, like, why would you want to get <laughs> rid of me? They, uh, it was very evident. And sure enough, I mean, I just wasn't able to attain these numbers. I mean, companies weren't traveling anymore. Sure. Like, they were under scrutiny as to why were, they were spending money this way and that.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it was kind of kooky. And my, If I didn't have one of the big pharma companies or one of the big banks, doing either their national sales conference with us or their Western conference with us, I was hooped yeah. because I needed one of those, you know, it was going to be a $100,000 meeting, etc. It was going to be a, a sorry, um, like a $2, 3000000 million meeting. And they do dump money like crazy. So I was gone. And I just made this choice that, you know what? I'm not going to let anyone else control my my work destiny anymore. I'm I'm going to work for myself. And I'd had a bunch of uh, people uh, tell me before, you should go into real estate. You should go into real estate. You're totally born for it. And I'm like, what do I know about real estate? And I mean, realistically, what did I know? And I I went, you know what? I'm going to. So did the real estate course. Uh, A couple of uh, school buddies of mine had started a smaller company uh, in Vancouver, signed on with them. And then I was like, now what?
0: <laughs> and not to mention, you're entering, you you got licensed in 2009, right? Yeah, it would have been in 10 by the time I licensed. Okay, so we had kind of come through, like the, the 9 was a really rough year yeah. in real estate. Yeah. 10 started to improve a bit, but it was still like 9, 10, 11, 12. Those were tough years in real estate.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Probably something that was quite lucky for me because I was naive to that. Like I had no clue. I totally I agree. Yeah. Like that was my benchmark. And literally, you know, I sat there and I'm like, okay, well, if you people, I'm a realtor. Why is the phone not ringing?
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: they did, this company did, they were starting, they were really working the online SEO. Mm-hmm. And that's what, what came with it. They They did say, you will get leads. And how it sure. was, it was purely people requesting showings. So your first question was, are you working with a realtor? Half of them were, half of them weren't. And then you got in front of people and you sold yourself. Right. So it was your job there. And my, my first client, I always look back to this. And I think a lot of realtors have a similar story to this, that that client doesn't know that they were their first <laughs> client. I have, I do, that totally. Yeah. And I thought to myself, how am I going to get around? Like I'm mean, in my head. He's going to ask me how long i you been a realtor. Yeah. He was from Alberta, so I went. Okay. What do you know? I know the city. I sell the city as a with other hotels in the in the conference center mm-hmm. to sell Vancouver's destination. I've lived here for a long time, so that's what I spoke to. I said he wanted investment property, so I showed him communities. I said, when you arrive, we're going to spend our first day just driving around and I'm going to explain the communities to you. And I'm going to tell you why I think these are good ones for you to buy it. So it, it taught me to kind of, that transition was, it's like, figure out what you know, like there's use what you actually know mm. and express that. And it was useful. And I still, to this day, do that on relocations. I tell people, look, this is my background. I've lived here for over 45 years of my life, and I've lived anywhere from Chilliwack to North Vancouver, down to Swasson. I said, if there's a community I don't know, I'll tell you, I don't know it. But I can give you ideas if you haven't figured out where you want to be in the Lower Mainland. And some people think I'm nuts for taking the time to do that. But, you know, I mean, a lot of people go, really just go, okay, well, I have to service my, my client. We don't have a clue what service is in comparison, so you know it 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 it's helped me do that aspect of things and and I do always put my clients before myself, and not that everyone doesn't do that
0: What does that mean? You put your clients before yourself
1: that i I don't think about my transaction. I think about myself as what am I wanting as an experience like this person is now I'm trusting this person so you are like on a stay with me. So when we're looking, they're in my hands. Like I'm the room, I'm the restaurant, I'm everything. So I want to make sure that they walk out there and go, That was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Or I didn't feel pressured, but I got great information and we still got it done quickly. It, it's that, and it, it's a little bit of mindset. That's how I, I look at it. And I, I'd really try not to think about the transaction. I think about the experience, and that's what a, what the hotel and hospitality industry is about. If you're going to do a big meeting in a, in a, a city, you think about the experience before anything.
0: Mm-hmm. And by focusing on the experience, you're trusting that, you know, well, however you want to phrase it, but the, the end result is going to be what everybody desires, and that you know the client has purchased what whatever they're trying to purchase or do and you're generating revenue i mean nobody nobody is doing this for free the hotel's not doing something for free and you're not driving around endlessly through neighborhoods for free i mean you got to make a living but you're you're i think what i hear you saying is that focus on the experience of the client and the rest will usually take care of itself yeah like and
1: when i was with starwood hotels and a lot of people go starwood People that travel regularly know what the brand and to- umbrella Oh, yeah, I know.
0: Is. I know Starwood. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But although Starwood's recently been bought by Marriott International. So they're, I think, the largest now. But when, when Starwood was launching some new brands, we went through this brand understanding training. And that's when I bring that with me as well because it's not, I don't focus on what I do. It's focusing on who I am to be able to do what I do.
2: Hmm.
1: And we're all different. Like I can't be, I can't be you. Yeah. Um, I can't be Ray. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, there's uh, people in the office that everyone's different, but I think the people that are the most successful, I've noticed, are doing what they do well. Yeah. And they are who they are.
0: Yeah. Well said.
1: Yeah. So, totally agree. So I think that's where my my transition and my help from the, that industry has kind of helped me focus on the experience, which is who you are rather than what you are.
0: Hmm. Very good. The you had you had made a comment. I think you made a comment to me, or maybe it was in our our prep leading up to this. There's what was it? My, you, oh, you alluded to it already. Mindset. So is that yeah. is that all? Is that all part of your? Like, is that what you mean by having the right mindset in your business? Or is mindset bigger than, bigger than just that? Well,
1: that, that's the that's beginning of it. I mean, all, a lot of people know I do a fair bit of uh, cold calling on
0: online leads. and So you never dropped that? Like, you did that from starting in 2009, and you've continued that all the way through till now? Well, no. Actually,
1: I don't think I did that very well early on in my career. I don't think I did it well enough. I did it, I mean, you have to do that in your, in the hotel, like in hotel sales, you know, I did 10 years of that. I mean, for us, it's like calling someone. And it, in that one, it's pretty much, hotels, it's a little bit of, the difficulty is, like, who's actually the person that's booking these meetings? So you could, you could say, I want to speak to someone at GlaxoSmithKline, but man, it, half your time is spent discovering who the right contact is.
0: Trying to get to the actual decision maker.
1: Yeah. Luckily, also, when you move from one property to another, I mean, we have databases. Like, we think we've got great CRMs. We, we have, like, only a tip of the iceberg compared to what hotel properties have. That's a whole different conversation. Hmm. But I, I mean, I think, you know, I, I mentioned at one time, I almost, I almost left the business. And I don't know how, and this ties into mindset as well a little bit, things just weren't going right. I mean, I literally had a sale that fell apart. This is how unlucky certain things were going. It was just all going sideways and wrong. I had someone actually pass away after they had already gone firm on a deal. And I'm like, I can't even get hold of this person. Oh boy. And I'm like, what's going on? And finally, the daughter called me and said, Mark, I'm really sorry. This is why we haven't been returning calls. And I was like, got it. Like, I was like, Mm. okay, well, what are we going to do with this? And she's like, I'd prefer not to go ahead. And luckily, we managed to get her out of it. But, you know, people had sympathy, you know, in that. But
0: Well, how do you, how do you have a deceased person buy a
1: house? Well, no, they'd bought it, gone firm. And then when we were getting ready to actually complete,
0: right. So it's out in between, right. So it's firm and binding. And you have a deposit down. But are you telling me that the the this person we've been death? we saw the place, but yeah. doesn't that and automatically then, remove them from having to buy? Like you can't actually force a yeah. deceased person yeah, to buy, and, can you? No,
1: and and that's ultimately what yeah. what had happened. But you know, some people were they were trying to push it. That, sure, well, the estate now has to buy it. And yeah, like, well, oh no. Anyway, but like I say, that that was the kind of luck I was having, and I wow. and I called. Someone said to me talk to Ray and I'm a, I'm a horrible person in the fact that sometimes I think I can do everything so I won't reach out <laughs> and I have slowly over time learned that you know what talk to people people are helpful and I, and I called Ray and I said Ray just I, I'm thinking about getting out of this like it's just all going wrong hmm. and Ray said no he says you're too good for that he gave me a couple of ideas of some things that could I could do and I still kind of said to my wife, I went, you know what, I, I, I've i just become a, <laughs> excuse the word, but a crap realtor overnight. Like, I mm-hmm. don't know what's going wrong. Lost all the confidence. And she slapped me across the head and said, snap out of this. Like, that's not you. So I ended up uh, getting involved with uh, Chris Lucas. Mm. And, you know, he put this thing in front of me. He says, I've got this massive da- database and people need to call it. and Here's here's what we agreed upon on uh cut sharing and that. I liked it because I still kept my own personal deal stuff. And I taught myself how to get into that. Like I was I'm fine on the phone and in person people usually find me fairly charismatic. That's what people said about me getting into the hotel industry. Like, you're perfect. Like people like you. And I'm like, Yeah, I guess they do. Why not? Doing it on the phone's a bit different. But mm. and I I sat, we, every once in a while, I liked the idea of actually get almost getting like into a call center. And there were about four or five of us that'd be calling for two and a half hours on uh, a Monday morning and a Thursday morning. We do it listening to other people. I was like, ah, that was a good thing to say. And slowly over time, I found some things that I would say. And it was interesting because I was like, here's an opportunity in front of, Meanwhile, I heard a couple other people going, "You know, I only get the the crappiest leads, and this is all BS. And (laughs) you know, half of the calls are just terrible." And I'm like, I'm sitting here going, "No, I'm having good conversations here. Like, dig in." And I, it's getting the mindset of, for me, and this is this is where I talk about it. You can look at it, and some people would focus on, "I don't want to give away anything," and I'm like. I looked at someone and said, do you have better leads? Do you have people to call? Like you can, you can certainly randomly you know, pick a list of phone numbers and start dialing it, but you don't know if they're actually interested in real estate. At least you know these people are in real estate. Sure. And they're like, yeah, but they're crap. And I'm like, no, it's an opportunity. And that's kind of the mindset that I look at. And I go, you can focus on what is the bad part, or you can focus on where you want to go with it. And I do think that changes how you sound on the phone. Absolutely. It changes your conversation. Yeah. I get the people like the common one. Everyone complains about the guy that's, or a lady that's on the phone and says, all I want you to do is send me the leads. I have a bunch of people. Whoever sends me the right listing is who I'll work with. Right. Well, first of all, any realtor that will work with that person is probably not focusing on the right person. But I take that. That conversation a step further. It's a challenge,
2: hmm.
1: and I said to the say to the people and people. You a lot of people I hear my other colleagues say like, okay, I'm hanging up on that one. I always leave that person with one comment. I go, can I give you a tip in online re, uh, online real estate research? And the guy. Will, sometimes they go, no, I haven't got time for you. Sure, that's fine. Too yeah. bad for them, but I find eight out of ten times they go, sure. I go the next time. You're signing up for real estate leads Because I said it sounds like you're irritated with people calling you.
0: Because these I, people I kinda, have these people have signed up. That's how they're on the list to begin with, right? They've entered yeah, their they, information. They've signed in that, somewhere. Yeah, they've already entered their information. Mm-hmm. So we're dialing them.
1: You know, and part of usually that conversation also comes into, you know, I, I get calls from everyone, so I've got lots of you working. And I'll say, The next time you're gonna enter your information, don't. And he goes, but I want to look at it. I go. But you've already got access to something that will show it to you.
2: Yeah.
1: And they're like, Oh. And all of a sudden, because I actually gave them a piece of value, they go, You mean you're gonna help me not get these irritating calls? And I'll <laughs> even joke with people. I go,
2: Yeah,
1: I know. You're not really looking forward to hearing from me, but Yeah. And I'll go in from there.
2: The other thing,
1: I mean, I'll tell people straight up, like, be honest with with people and again some mindset. I'm gonna I'm gonna take time. It's only two more minutes of my time to explain to them. If you show some uh, loyalty to your realtor, you'll get all loyalty back. And he says, but I just want that good deal. Mm-hmm. And I go, let me give you an example. I said, I've got five clients that are working with me, not with anyone else, so just working with me. I've got a great listing. Am I going to give it to you, or am I going to work with the client that's working with me loyalty wise?" Totally. And, and that's the mindset. Like, Don't give up. Think of the positive and usually you can get something from it. If they hang up, that's fine. Or if they say they don't want your business.
0: It's a numbers game too, right? Like, you know, you've got your data where you go, well, if you make 100 calls, you're going to turn, what, four into a, into a possible uh, transaction? Yeah. yeah, I'd say that. So you, got, you, ha- you also have to have, I think where, where, where some people are unable to do what you're talking about is that they don't have the stomach or the stamina to just get through the numbers because yes like if somebody's really good at it they can have a 5 or 6% you know uh conversion rate and if somebody sucks at it they can have a 1% conversion rate but yeah. whether you're you suck or you're good 95% of the time you're still ending the phone call with a miss right and that yeah. is what's i think really hard for Many, many people is that, you know, that just takes guts and, and, you know, determination to get through that. And it's, it's hard.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's where your mindset, if you don't have the mindset that there is something at the other end of it, yeah. You won't be able to convince yourself to do that hard work. I, I used to mountain bike a fair bit. At one point, I had this great idea that I was going to go pro, but um, I quickly (laughs) found out that going from lower ranks, right up to what they call intermediate it was quite easy yeah. it was a big jump but the effort just meant you needed some skill you needed to be out riding every once in a while to get that next step it took 10 times the energy yeah to just make that one little step so i realized that it just wasn't in me but i got to go out and ride with uh, a lot of other people and this is back in the mid-90s and mountain biking was just sort of kicking off and there was a A guy, a BC local guy named Bruce Spicer, and we got to go ride with him. He raced for Kona, and I always thought it was cool we'd run into him uh, if we were up in Mount Seymour or Cypress riding. And this one time, we were doing this trail, and I'm going down this section and then hitting this uphill, and if you didn't clean it, you were done. So you were always trying to clean the section so you weren't out of the pedals. And there's this one darn rock that I always hit. And I was like, this one time he's with us, and I got cursing and swearing, going, I want to hit that rock, God, damn it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he looked at me, he goes, Mark, what are you looking at when you're going through there? <laughs> I go, I'm making sure I miss that rock. And he says, what do you do? I go, I don't know. I hit it every time. I don't know why. Yeah. Like, I, I, I can see where I'm going. He goes, you're not seeing where you're going. He says, you're focused on the rock. Look at where you want to go. And that's another thing that I, like, I I sit there and I always say that to myself. Don't look at the obstacle. Look at the path. And it's an interesting, that's mindset to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's always a way around things. But if you don't look at it, you won't see it. Or it'll take you too long to see it, one or the other.
0: That's good. Yeah. A lot of people won't know who George Best is, but he's... um... He's a very, I understand he's a very famous Irish uh, footballer slash soccer player, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, most people that know me fairly closely know that, I mean, I played uh, soccer or football all my life. I didn't put on a pair of skates till I was, I think, something <laughs> like 13, um, just because my, my parents had me in, uh, in rugby, soccer. That was what my dad played as well, so.
0: So how did, how did so George was your idol growing up kind of thing, or yeah, he so, was your Wayne Gretzky? Yeah, exactly, and I mean he's he's got a bit of a sad
1: a sad life there, and it, this guy was just he was brilliant. I mean, someone asked Pele who what it was like to be the best player in the world, and I he his quote was, "I don't know, go ask George Best." Hmm. But he derailed himself. For him, it ended up being alcoholism, and and it, it did it it killed him, and it shortened his career. And he turned himself into a complete mess. There's interviews where they said, what do you think's going on here? Like, why are you quitting? He quit at like 26 and then got back into it. He came to North American place. But I always look at that as well and, and kind of as much as I, I look at going, here's the skill. But he couldn't keep his focus, his mindset. And I mean, I know we know alcoholism is a, a different beast. Mm-hmm. You know, substance abuse is. But it's interesting in that that he just he got it in his own way, and that again is my mindset. And th- and that was that moment going right back to where we started with it, where I almost quit. I was getting in my own way.
2: Hmm.
1: I was entirely getting in my own way. And in in honesty, I actually wasn't even being good to myself at that time either. So, you know, I'm not saying I was going down that path in any way. But you know, it it it's something that I I always try to take something from either a good experience or a bad experience or reading about something. I always try to try to take something from that and understand why. I think the why really helps us sometimes. Do you enjoy reading? I don't do enough of it, but I do enjoy it when I get when I get down to it.
0: Have you gotten into audio like have you ever switched into audiobooks? Is the challenge actually like just physically reading or what prevents you from reading enough? Yeah, probably time. And I haven't switched audiobooks. And it is something that I keep
1: saying I'm going to do. And I kind of think, you know, I hear of other people in the car. That's
0: when they do it. And I mm-hmm. mean,
1: we drive it for a bit. So I definitely, definitely need to tap into that more.
0: So reading, I, I, I use reading as a well, I, I mean, I love to take in information, but it's also just something that relaxes me before, before bed. Whether I do, sometimes I read, sometimes I do audio, but I find that it's just a great way to clear my head and to turn my brain off from the, you know, the, whatever, the anxieties of the day so that I can actually fall asleep. That's that, that's actually probably why I do it. It's not always because I want to take the information in, but I need to calm my brain down in order to fall asleep.
1: Yeah, I just said to someone the other day, actually, I, I want to, and I said to my wife, I said, I wouldn't mind going and taking a, uh, a course in uh, meditating. Oh, yeah. And I I always thought that that could be could be quite good because I mean stresses of life, uh, whether things in work life or even home life, and uh, uh, this past year, I mean I think that's something we talk about so much. And Mm -hmm. I mean I I just did my parent teacher interviews with my uh, kids' uh, teachers, and man, some of them are just talking about the uh, anxiety. The counselors were the ones I found most interesting because they they said they're just coming up with all sorts of knowledge and how it's affected kids. So, oh, yeah. you know, I and mean, we never went through that in that way. And we sometimes forget that. But again, that's another subject. But definitely, I think uh, reading can be the information. And like you say, it can also be a, a great way to just kind of take yourself out of the now time. I, I like my, my downtime. And when I do downtime, I almost I mistakenly sometimes call it dumb time. But I need to <laughs> do more, more with my dumb time.
0: Mm-hmm. What's, uh, what's next for you? I know you've been working on something with May Wong Smith. You guys, I don't know if you, you work together now or you're just working on working together, but I'm asking because I think there's a lot of people that have been thinking about going down that road of like forming some type of quasi partnership in order to have support in this business. So, what are you working on?
1: Yeah. So, May and I have known each other, I guess, now for about two and a half years. Both of us, we, we kind of learned, we were talking to each other a bit. What, what she noticed and what I noticed was we kind of had the same work ethic. And that was one thing. But then we kind of looked at our results.
2: Hmm. And
1: again, this was more with the online stuff. And I was like, okay, here's someone that's paralleling my results and, and she's vice versa. Similar mindset to things or approach to things Our core values of how we think real estate should be done and how we should uh, deal with our clients were similar. But we, the, the interesting thing is, both of us have tried to do this before and- Tried to do
0: know, uh, some type of a partnership? Yeah,
1: a partnership, whether it's a team partnership, business partnership, and both of us kind of got, I hate to say the word burned. I don't think burned is the right thing, but we found out very quickly That we just weren't the right people for each other. And the person, the other thing is, is that on the surface, you know, we've got our outer shell. But I think if you're going to get into business with someone, you need to know their inside. And so we've we've taken actually 14 months Hmm. of getting to know each other, getting ourselves to the step of this. And since January, we've unofficially been working together in the aspect of we we actually share. Our business. And it's like whatever I earn, make it her that, or we do some business together. We co-list in that. Yeah. And a couple of things that we've liked about this is some people always complain about the constant paycheck. If you're not, you know, if you're not a person that's doing 40 odd deals a year,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, you don't feel like you've got a yeah. It can be sporadic every two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So and not everyone's the best at saving. So that has helped us that way because it's all of a sudden you're getting something it's like
0: oh yeah didn't even know it right a smaller piece more often
1: yeah more often so that's yeah. good but where the reason we looked at each other is like well how could we benefit each other the lower mainland is probably and fraser valley is probably one of the most multicultural communities sure in north america i mean i'm sure there's others that haven't been everywhere in the world but we don't the diversity here is very wide mm-hmm. so we liked our cultural differences and we've and may speaks i don't like saying Chinese because she speaks uh, I believe its Can, Mandarin, is it Cantonese, no, Cantonese or Mandarin Cantonese. or both I maybe. think she speaks Mandarin yeah okay. she well she understands Cantonese, but she speaks Mandarin got it me on the other hand, being a longtime resident of the lower mainland it's a quality that I could deliver in and. Uh, and Not to say that being Caucasian, your background isn't a background as well. That's true. It is. Right. So, you know. Well, you're from
0: England, so you speak sewer English. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Or, or, yeah, actually I do. I do. I remember coming back the last time my parents pretty much said that to me. So they said, what happened to your proper English? Yeah.
0: The Queen's English is gone. You speak slang. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, um,
1: that that's what we're, we're developing and right right now we're gonna we're gonna we're working on our um, brand logo right now we had one we kind of trashed it we are thinking of a different one so we got some other people working on some stuff so we're hoping to have that uh, launched and ready to go in january but that's after working together all year
0: will you do a team like will you identify as a team or what? What are your thoughts? Or, or are you just going to work together and not necessarily identify as a team? Or how will you do that?
1: Well, I think on the surface, I mean, we we, we dove into the um, the board on the questions on that because we we kind of saw a benefit of you know as we everyone calls referral partners with this last kind of boom, we had unrepresented people coming into. Uh, Our listings, and sometimes they needed someone to work with.
0: Yeah, and if you're a team, you're kind of screwed because now you 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 can't do that. uh Uh-huh. So, so as long as we keep two separate databases
1: and have separate contact information on our joint websites and stuff, then you can do that business partnership, and it can still have a branding logo that's shared. It's just two realtors working.
0: Oh, that's an interesting. You can have a shared logo, but as long as you're okay i didn't know that
1: yeah you can and and that's it that was one of the key things for us was we made sure we asked all the questions at the board how do we do this so we don't get ourselves into trouble we're not a hundred percent sure we'll continue that we're going to start that way we may end up going into the team entity sure we've we've had some success in uh um referring uh over someone that comes in uh, unrepresented, mm-hmm. what our worry is is that I'll, at some point, could it possibly end up being, you know, frowned upon by others, and then all of a sudden you get pulled hauled into the board. So mm-hmm. we we may go team for safety, but for right now we're going that way.
0: How much of this is driven by the fact that, like I, I have a lot of people, I mean in, within the industry, but within our brokerage as well, just say things like, um, you know, I need, I want to be with people because I want support and I don't want to always be on 24 seven. Is that the driving mechanism behind the partnership? Is it that you guys are going to like support each other with showings and give each other days off or, or what's the main, what's the main piece behind the partnership? I mean, you mentioned the the consistent paycheck, which I think makes a lot of sense, but what about the support piece and getting some time off?
1: We absolutely discussed that. Because you know what, when you're, when you're away, we're usually kind of going, okay, who am I going to trust my business with? In this case, I'm able to trust my business with my business partner.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So that was something we discussed heavily on that. And that was our drive for both of us in the idea of getting into um, uh, a business partnership and having a a partnership in industry. That way we have our own coverage. We had one up. I think you were, you were asking me if there was ever a transaction that uh, came together. Well, I get a call from a client at, I think it was like 10 to 7. And they go, Mark, are, oh, no, no, I know what it was. Sorry. Realtor calls me and goes, offers were supposed to be on Sunday. Realtor calls, sends me a touch base going, are you putting in an offer this evening? So I call him. I go, um, what's this? I said, offers are on Sunday or we've got a showing tomorrow night. And he's like, yeah, well, we received an offer as we all hear, you know, a bully offer comes in. So long and short, I call my clients and go, hey, this has happened. I'm actually sitting there thinking to myself, I hope they don't want to go see this because I'm (laughs) in is in Maple Ridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need to get an offer in by eight. So what I did was I went, zipped out there, showed them the home. May was writing the contract.
0: Like, as you were doing that? For me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then, of course, we automatically door to them because then now May's also representing them and took care of that aspect and said, now you've got two realtors working for you on this one. They'd already been out on some showings with May
2: mm-hmm.
1: because I wasn't available one time. Sure. So they'd already been introduced to her. And basically, in three quarters of an hour to an hour, we had the contract written. All forms signed, priced on, and shown. I could not have done that on my own.
0: Yeah, I know. Just it's physically impossible.
1: Yeah. So, so that was nice. Yeah, I mean, the other option is is I could be the realtor and I could have have an assistant. We we certainly that's sort of part of our our plan and you know putting a five year plan together. And and again, I mean, the, the key to this was is we took our time. We didn't dive in because we've both done that before and and just went oh we really didn't think this through so i mean the one piece of advice i'd say to people do it slowly mm-hmm. work together kind of figure out that get to know each other business wise and yeah. personally and then make that final decision yeah so.
0: you don't have to formalize anything so quick i think sometimes i agree with, like people jump in and try to like make things so official so quickly but what you guys have done by taking your time allows you to possibly deal with any rubs or hiccups before you've spent significant money on on creating a brand or anything like that?
1: Absolutely, like we went, made sure we went out, did a couple of showings with some clients together to see what we were both like in that entity. We did a couple of listing presentations, we completely bombed one together. We almost had our first fight over that. <laughs> but then we regrouped the next morning and go okay where did this go wrong
2: what yeah. didn't
1: you like about what i did what didn't i like about what your approach was or what didn't mesh or and then we suddenly realized that we were actually neither of us were trying to overpower each other i i started to understand some things that i went ah oh, i've never thought of it that way hmm. that was brilliant i walked myself into into a rabbit hole there without even knowing and and in this case it was a cultural um uh, uh, sure and vice versa i explained something and i said this is what's going to happen with this client down the road and it came back and sure enough it did and she was she got some value out of it and that was a big building experience so we actually practiced it or went and pretended we were doing it for a bit and then went can we survive this and we both realized that we were actually really good support for each other that's good so so that is a bit and and for for me, I also do sometimes miss that um camaraderie. Like I mean in, in the hotel business, I always if I wasn't running a sales team or I was a part of a sales team of anywhere from five to twelve.
0: That's what you were doing in the ho- in the hotel business. Five to twelve people. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So you were never a lone ranger and real estate is a can be a very lonely game. Yeah. It can be.
1: Yeah. And and I kind of you know, I, I, I always thought that that would be fun and cool. I, you know what? I like that aspect that I can work on my own as well. And I'm, I'm quite comfortable in my own skin, but it sometimes, especially, you know, the day, the day that I get up and I go, man, I haven't really got a lot on the plate today. What should I do? Okay. I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And then mail call me up and go, Hey, you know what? I'm going to be in the office this afternoon. Mm. Come on. And I go yeah. And I'm like, you know what? It picked me up that. And she said the same. There's certain days where all of a sudden she's like, and I was, she was so glad at the end that we went in. And I think we all battle with that running our own business. Mm -hmm. We're our own bosses. We can take time off when we want, or we can slack when we want. You know, we're only accountable to ourselves.
0: You're not only relying on your energy, you're getting to feed off the energy of someone else as well, which as you just said, some days you need that. Yeah. And that's the difference between a productive day and a crappy day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like what, not one, of that's the other thing we like about each other is not one of us is the motivator. And both of us are quite happy to call the other one out. Mm. And, and we also don't get too sensitive. We got, we've gone through our sensitive period in our <laughs> pretend period where it's like, you know, oh, may hurt my feelings today. And then, or may would call me back and go, you know, she'd say something. And I go, what are you talking about here? And she goes, well, I was wondering if there was a little, little message there and i'm like there's no message (laughs) so we've actually learned each other's personalities before we signed on the dotted line and i think that is important and you have to find out if your personalities mesh
0: that's good are you going to sell a house today or this week what's up for the rest of the day uh today
1: i actually have a potential offer for uh, a client uh, on a whistler property i don't usually work out of my area but this guy is uh Someone that just insists on working with me. I've helped his uh, father. I've helped him. We actually play soccer together, and he just he trusts me. So
0: Whistler, I don't mind. I don't. Is it going to be like competing situation or or not? Um, No, this one isn't
1: surprisingly enough.
2: Oh, that's
1: nice. Hopefully, we can get something uh, put in, and it can make sense. We've just got a couple of questions to to look at on that, and then uh, I have uh, a new listing coming on either early next week or the week after that, I've got some work to do on as well. And that was some people that we've already sold their home, managed to, uh, sorry, not sold their home. We've we've got them into an acreage after looking at properties with them for over a year and a half. We finally found the right one, got the deal done. I think they've got a good deal. Now they've got to sell. That was uh, one of their roadblocks uh, on that where it was... And that's kind of, again, the can-do. They were like, well, the typical question is, can we get our home sold in time? Mm. And in fairness, their home is in a great location, and their home is quite nice. Their home has been lived in for 20 years, and it's a bit cluttered. So I had to deliver to them quite the honesty and said, hey, this is what we're dealing with. Here's the positives. Here's the nons. I can tell you, we will get it sold here in a in an area that's quite in high demand, but it's not something I can sit here and say, to "You, I promise, so we actually managed to get all the financing done through my mortgage broker. They were working with theirs, and with uh, the mortgage broker, I recommended we were able to get uh, everything all done, so they could complete and sell a little bit later. They didn't have, I removed the pressure of having to have
0: yeah, to having to sell done yeah. before. Yeah,
1: so that was a, a good one. So we're working on that listing, but. Uh, do think i'm going to have one sold today unless with the whistler one well unless so.
0: you get the whistler one well yeah. i am sincerely appreciative of your time i i love the way your brain works and um i'm thankful that you that you were generous enough to share some of your thoughts and philosophies with us i'm a big fan i think you guys are going to do awesome things together you and me
1: yeah i i'm really hoping so and i mean I, i'm just going to leave you one last thing because <laughs> some people know i love to talk go ahead but I think one of the most important things is to be yourself. Mm. And we kind of started with a hospitality story. I'll end it with one. So when I was the director of sales and marketing at the Hilton uh, Vancouver Airport, I was fairly young on at that time, and I I got this position. I mean, it was one I wanted, and I was a dark horse for it, and I managed to get the job. Anyway, this hotel was quite special. In a lot of cases, in hotels we're always fighting with, making sure your staff are, are up and doing the right thing. And it was kind of like you bring in a good apple and the bad apples turn the good apple into a bad one. Total opposite in this hotel. Our our customer service scores were exceptionally hot, exceptionally hot. And one year we were always competing, believe it or not, with the Waldorf Astoria mm. for either being a number one, or, or sorry, number two, and they would always beat us out. The Waldorf Astoria had won it for. I I had only been with the hotel for two years at this time, but for five years in a row, they always had the highest customer satisfaction rating.
0: And we're like, we're just
1: a little nice airport hotel. Sure, all suites, not really nice property. Yeah, but you know, and the Waldorf Astoria, what is it? It's Five star luxury. You always would think that, but as it come down to? I mean, did it, it, the people leave happy? It's the experience. So we finished number one. And with that came a huge celebration party at the hotel. And the CEO of Hilton uh, North America was coming to the property to give us this award and everything. My general manager would speak. Then I had to speak afterwards. And my general manager put this speech in front of me. (laughs) And I went, what's this? He He wrote it. Yeah, she.
0: She She. actually. She. Pardon uh, me. Pardon me. She.
1: It's okay. Um, And greatly, I I I loved her dearly. She was a great general manager. But man, she was accounting background, complete controller.
2: Uh That's
1: why we call controllers controllers. They need to control everything. And I said to her, I said, "Well, can I?" She says, "Nope. This is the way you're going to speak." And she gets up, and I'm sitting here trying to. rip, rip Remember this thing the whole time. I don't really like public speaking as it is. Getting myself calmed down and everything. Anyway, she ends. She introduces me. I go up and I'm in front of our all our staff. I get lost in this thing. Mm -hmm. I blunder. It was this moment where I just felt like where they say you just feel naked. I felt absolutely like inside. I could feel me just getting more embarrassed. This and the other. Mm. And I. I finally just kind of turned it over and went I apologize for that I said I just blundered this so I went to a story and just said this is why I think we won this
0: so you you mid mid mid-speech you crumpled it up like metaphorically and then just went to your own words yeah I love that that's good and, and
1: it still wasn't perfect but but it was you but it ended up being me and you know what that was a big lesson for me about that whole thing be you mm. and in sales i have really i have debates with people on this some people are real script people mm-hmm. and i always say read the script the script's important the script's in the message the message is perfect and it needs to be said there are you can be systematic
0: mm-hmm.
1: but make sure it's you
0: yeah cuz people are going to people pick up on that crap so quickly if you're if you're just repeating what someone else does and it's not your own, it's not your personality, then it it it's so easy to, uh, to to hear that. Yeah. When you're just copying.
1: Absolutely. So I, I think for me that is the most important thing, because I I think I've won listings based on that, where where people have kind of asked me a question and it's like oh you know they start asking detailed statistics and that I mean I usually tell you I'll, I'll give you my statistics. I said but. I can manipulate these to be anything. This is what I, and and that's just how I am free flowing and and talking that way. I certainly practice routine. You need, if you're going to do that, you do need some routine so you know what you're talking to, but Mm -hmm. just understand what you're talking about and be you. And my message and your message may be the same, but it'll be told totally in a different way. And we're both going to win business because we did work on being us.
0: The word of the day with Mark Sager is authenticity. You bet. you. Thanks, Mark. That was uh that was awesome, dude. I appreciate it. We'll uh I appreciate it. We will connect again and I wish you all the best in Whistler. Go get that place done.
1: Yeah. Hoping so. And hey, thanks for those tickets.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enjoy the Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. You're going to the uh you're going to the Canucks game on Saturday. Yeah. Connor there you go, Steve. uh he's going to see
1: he's going undress us: brother. you're going to see Connor
0: play, yeah, that guy he's world class, that guy's amazing uh,
1: I've seen him a couple of times live now, and he, yeah, he's just different yeah way different level.
0: I've seen McDavid, Ovechkin, and Crosby, and they're all amazing, but not one of no one moves like McDavid. McDavid can skate like I've never seen anyone else skate. He reminds me of the same thing Bure was back in the 90s. It was different, but um, but he moves yeah, on the ice. Nobody can keep up with him.
1: That type of experience, it's funny you mentioned Burry. I was lucky. My um, my my boss at the time at the Georgian court said to me, she said, oh, you want to go to the hockey game tonight, Mark? And I went, sure. She goes, okay, meet me there, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. We go to the game. And Burry had been signed. It was against Winnipeg. And he wasn't supposed to play. Right before the game, they announced that Burry was going to be playing, mm. and I don't know anyone that was there or anyone that watched that game remembers he did not score, he did not get a point, but he had us out of our seat. Oh yeah, probably five times. Yeah, and he went from behind our net picking up a puck. Our defenseman just kept leaving the puck there for him. He mm-hmm. skate around, and I don't think anyone in Vancouver had ever seen anyone. Skating on the back of his, the way he used to like fall back on the back of his yep. heel skate yep. and then tip forward and then yep. he, I don't know what the hell he was doing, but boom he was gone. It was like holy Dinah, what have we
0: signed? He I saw Beret play in '94, so the year they'd yeah. went in the Cup run. I went to a game I believe it was against the LA Kings. Beret had. Uh, I think he had two goals and an assist or something like that. He was electric all night long. And I don't know how this happened, but I got invited by a friend of mine. He had won some type of a contest and me and him and his parents obviously got to go down into the dressing room after the game. And this is obviously a totally different world. I don't think they let people into the dressing rooms anymore. Uh, so I got, I got the entire, I got everybody's like, I got, you know, everybody from, uh, Russ Court, I think Russ and Jeff Court were on the team at the time, or maybe it was just Jeff. Yeah. Maybe they traded for Russ later in the season. I got yeah. Sergio Mimeso, um, I you know, Yurke Mimeso. Lume, Trevor Linden, uh, like whatever. I got, and then I got Bure's autograph on his rookie card, which I had brought with me. So I have a, I have a Pavel Bure autograph rookie card that I have in a plastic case at my house that I will um, always have an amazing memory around.
1: Sweet. And, and possibly a retirement plan.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if it's that. I mean, that was in the era of the oversaturated uh, collecting cards, right? Like yeah. he, he was an, I have his upper deck rookie card, and there was a b- billion of them in circulation. Who knows? I mean, it's probably worth a few bucks now. And
1: Yeah, not all of them are signed.
0: But yeah. anyways, I've never seen, Connor McDavid reminds me of, like, Bure used to just move around people like they were pylons. And McDavid does the same thing. And you're going to get to see him on Saturday night.
1: Yeah, it's going to be cool. Anytime you get to see a star like that, it's great. I went over to London to go see uh, my beloved man, you, play um, Barcelona in the Champions League final. Even though we lost, the whole thing was, I mean, I was like, Ah, it's an expensive trip just for a game. Yeah. And I was like, my buddy was like, you can't give up. You cannot not go. He says, it's the new Wembley. Go. <laughs> and I, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, I'm like on the computer buying my ticket, my flights and off I'm going. And then my wife goes, well, you're not going without me. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Okay. Got to buy her tickets too now. And I was like, God, but it was the best experience ever. Even they, though they lost, I, I got to see one of the best teams in the world and watching that guy operate on a field. I was like, wow, it's amazing. now I understand why he's the best.
0: Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. All right. Nice chatting. Man. Have fun at Whistler, dude. See ya.
1: Will do. Yep. Oh, I'll send you a new headshot too, because my headshot's a real old one. Um, for your, I know when you do uh, your posting. I, I, I thought
0: we'd stick a picture of your butt up or something like that. We can't do that.
1: Yeah, you could do that. <laughs> Put okay.
0: some food up. <laughs> we'll get you send. Yeah, send it. Send some food. We don't want to see your face. Send something you've cooked. Let's do that. Oh. I'll tell you what. You
1: know what? Particularly yeah. relate to that. If you want, I'll send you this photo of. Uh, we made this, uh, he came over for beers one time. We've been trying to do it for like four or five months. Finally, I said, you're coming over. And you know what? It ties the story. I cooked the best burger that night. That's all I made. I oh, made a theory, piri, Portuguese burger, and it was delicious. I uh, love so it. I'm going to send you. Buddy. New headshot
0: That's... and a picture of a burger. I love it. Okay. Kay. Done. See you, man. All Take right. care. Ciao. Bye.